You're listening to Blind Entrepreneurship, an interview series podcast that highlights the stories of the top business professionals around the world. In each episode, we explore how entrepreneurs overcame blindness in business in order to execute their vision. is brought to you by Penji. I'm your host, Jonathan Grzbowski, and today we have Nur Eel on the show. Nur writes, consults, and teaches about the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. The MIT Technology Review dubbed Nur the prophet of habit-forming technology. And as you can see, based on the conversation that you will soon hear, he is definitely the prophet of habit-forming technology. Nur founded two companies since 2003 and has taught at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and the Hasso Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford. He is the author of the best-selling book, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life, which is a large portion of the conversation that we will have discussing that book. In addition to blogging at nerandfar.com, Nur's writing has been featured in the Harvard Business Review, TechCrunch, and Psychology Today. He's also an active investor, which is pretty cool, investing in companies like Eventbrite, Refresh.io, WorkLife, Product Hunt, just to name a few. Anger.fm, just to name a few. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty, so he's a pretty, pretty good uh, investor here. He has a good foresight. Uh, Nur also uh, attended the Stanford Graduate School of Business and Emory University. Um, the conversation is great. If you're currently going through, I feel like I, I spoke to Nur at the exact time that I needed to um, and highlighted it because uh, we all have to have new habits and we all have to change things. And the person that we once were isn't going to be the person that, um, that we need to be if we want to achieve things we have to completely shed a layer of skin and you know from a personal level after listening to this podcast um i definitely was able to just validate some things uh internally and i think that by you listening you're going to be able to do the same so let's get right to it enjoy today's episode with nair today's episode is sponsored by penji are you in charge of marketing for your business and need graphic design support let Penji design anything you need for your business, from a logo to your marketing materials, sales sheets, social media content, and so much more. Penji helps you achieve more with unlimited graphic design support, daily output, and a dedicated project manager, all at one flat monthly rate. We have an exclusive offer to the Blind Entrepreneur community. Head over to Penji.co and use the coupon code BLIND for 15% off your first month. Again, that's Penji.co. P-E-N-J-I dot C-O and use the coupon code BLIND for 15% off your first month of Penji. And now, let's get to today's episode. Nir, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So is it true that you once had Twix for breakfast? Uh, That is true. I, probably on more than one occasion. <laughs> I don't remember where, I don't know how you found that out, but that, that I must confess that is true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it was a, a uh, I always do a deep dive before I talk to somebody in the, the social media channels. And I saw that, I think it was like an anniversary or something like that. You had, uh, that you had Twix for, for breakfast. And I'm sure that could have been an, an amazing experience at the same time, incredibly regretful. Yeah, no, it's, you know, so that was for a special occasion. But let me tell you, when I was a kid, 
uh, I was actually clinically obese uh, as for, for a good chunk of my life. And I'm having Twix for breakfast uh, on multiple occasions, <laughs> not just to celebrate an anniversary or birthday, unfortunately. <laughs> well, that's interesting to hear that um, because now you're, I mean, I feel, I feel like health is, is very important to you. Um, I've also seen that you're, you know, I, I don't know if you still are, but a, a pretty avid runner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, now I'm, I'm no longer obese. Uh, now You're I fit, specialize dude. in, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly fit. Um, and I, I, for the first time in my life, uh, find that I enjoy exercise for the first time ever in my life. I've always nice. hated exercise and I finally discovered, you know, ways to build systems in my life to make sure I, I do what I say I'm going to do. And that's, that's really what my, my book indistractable is all about. It's all about just doing what you say you're going to do. You know, so I would tell myself I'm going to exercise. I tell myself I'm going to eat right. And yet I wouldn't do it. Uh, just mm-hmm. as I would tell myself, I'm going to work on that big project today and finish it or, you know, uh, be fully present with, with my family. And I would constantly get distracted. And so that's why I decided to go on this five-year journey to figure out the psychology of distraction, because uh, it turns out so much of what we want to do in our life is, uh, is short-circuited because we constantly become distracted. Yeah, Absolutely. In the book, um, I believe it could be even higher at this point, hit uh, 2023 on Amazon, which is an absolutely amazing accomplishment. So let's get right to it. What does that word mean? What in your sense, you you touched on it briefly, but indistractable, what does it mean to you? Yeah, so indistractable is a made up word. uh, And I, uh, I coined that term because I wanted to, to have kind of a new moniker that we can use to describe ourselves. In this day and age, you know, if you don't decide what it is that you wanna do with your time and your attention in your life, well then your time and your attention in your life will be controlled by others. And so you know, I don't believe that we have a knowledge gap anymore. A lot of gurus will tell you, oh, if you, you, know, if you buy my book or you buy my course, I'm gonna tell you the secret to success. It's out there. I mean, who, who doesn't know that the secret to losing weight is to eat healthier? We all know that. Mm. Come on. We need books to tell us this. We all know that if we want better relationships in our lives, we have to be fully present with people we love. Uh, we mm. know that. <laughs> if we, we know that if we want to do better in our jobs, we have to sit down and do the work, especially the hard stuff that other people don't want to do. So the question is, why don't we do it? You know, we, we would never want to lie to our friends, lie to our, our family. That's, that's despicable. And yet we lie to ourselves all the time. And I think that's the heart of the matter here is that we already know what to do. Uh, What we don't know is why we keep getting off track. And so I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, figuring out the psychology of distraction is is a critical skill for our time. Becoming indistractable is an absolutely indispensable skill these days because the fact is, you know, technology is not the ultimate source of distraction. However, in this day and age, if you are looking for a distraction, if you are not equipped with the skill set to become indistractable, they're going to get you, right? Whether it's between uh, the Slack channels or your boss or your kids or the social media companies or the news, something is going to hijack your attention unless you decide what you're going to do with your time and your attention in your life. And so that's what becoming indistractable is all about. Becoming indistractable means that you are the kind of person that lives with personal integrity. You are as honest to yourself as you are with others. You strive to do what it is you say you're going to do in life. Mm-hmm. Very power- powerful. And, and do you think that it's something that can be done in a week, in a day, or is this a, a lifelong process? So there are certainly skills that you can adopt 
you know, the first page of the book, you can start using various techniques in the book. However, to, to, uh, to say that you ever finish becoming indistractable would be a misnomer that, you know, becoming indistractable is like becoming creative. You're never done becoming creative. It's a skill you learn so that you can improve your performance in various areas of your life and so that you can enjoy your life more. And so my idea behind becoming indistractable is not to tell people what to do with their time. You know, that's, that's your business and it's up to you to live it according to your values. So if you want time to meditate, to be with your kids, to paint, to write a book, to, you know, work at your job, whatever it might be, what I want to help you do is to do the things that you yourself say and know you should do. And that, mm. that's really the goal here is not to tell you what to do. It's to make sure that you can do the things that you yourself say you want to do. And you, you said something on the lines of uh, asked a question at one point in time, I forget where I saw it or where maybe I heard it was, does your calendar reflect your values? Right. So could you, could you talk a little bit more about, you know, that in particular, like, you know, because in my opinion, my calendar is, is spent with, um, is, is filled with things that I'm doing for the day in order to just complete it. It's kind of like my to-do list, so to speak. But yeah. I'd like to hear just from your perspective, like what, what is the, the, the importance of the calendar mean to you? Yeah. So, you know, if you want to see a person's character, you want to look at two places, uh, not, not look at their mouth. Don't look at what they say because people can talk a good game. You know, we can say mm -hmm. that taking care of our bodies is important to us. We can say we value our friendships, our relationships, but really when it comes down to it, you want to look at people's time and money, mm -hmm. how you spend your time, how you spend your money tells, says a lot about your character. And what happens with most people, it turns out that two thirds of Americans don't keep any sort of calendar. Mm. And so here's the thing. You cannot call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. If you don't know what it is you want to do with your time, that's like putting a hundred dollar bill on a New York street corner. <laughs> that money's not going to be there for very long. Yeah. And so why do we expect that if we have big open time in our calendars, that somehow we're magically going to do the things that we say we're going to do. Of course we're not, right? Mm -hmm. the, the news is going to distract you. Twitter's going to distract you. Your boss, your kids, something is going to distract you unless you decide, nope, this is what I'm doing with my time. So that's the second step to becoming indistractable. We didn't talk about the first step yet, but the second step is about uh, making time for traction. And you do this by turning your values into time. So you sit down and you ask yourself, what are my values? And there are three life domains. So the life domain of yourself, your relationships, and your work. And then what you're doing is you're basically filling out a calendar with how you want to spend your time. And I'll, I'll give you a link in the show notes. I built a special tool because um, I found that most tools out there are just way too complicated. So I wanted to make it very, very easy. It's free. There's no need to sign up or anything. I'll give you the link later on. But basically what you want to do is to use this calendar template to design your ideal week. Now, not an ideal week like once you retire, but like next week, what would an ideal week looks, look like? And what we find is that most people don't properly plan out their week. And if you do this practice, this is a life-changing practice. It's not what the book is all about. That's only one section of the book. There are four big uh, steps to becoming indistractable. But th this is a big one. And it's not a personal pet project. You know, I hate these self-help books or these business books that say, oh, well, here's what worked for me. So it's going to work for everyone. No, no, no. Everything in Indistractable, it was very important to me. Not only do these techniques work, I've used them all myself, every single one of them, but also they're also backed by peer-reviewed studies. 
So everything in the book is, is you know, decades old research uh, that has been published in academic journals. So this technique uses something psychologists call making an implementation intention, which is just a very fancy way of saying, planning out what you're going to do and when you're going to do it, right? If you say taking care of your body is important, where's that work at on your schedule? If you say that being with your family is important, where's that on your schedule? With your friends, where's that on your schedule? So the idea here is that we know in advance what we want to do because remember the opposite of distraction is not focus, okay? The opposite of distraction mm -hmm. is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. Both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull, and they both end in the same six-letter word, action, A-C-T-I-O-N. So traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do in life, things that you do with intent. The opposite of traction is distraction, any action that pulls you away from what you plan to do. So as long as you plan to do it, it's traction. So if you want to meditate, if you want to go on a walk, if you want to feel bored, if you want to write, if whatever it is you want to do, you want to do a side hustle, great. That's traction as long as you plan for it. If you want to scroll social media, awesome, do that but make time for it. Don't do it on the app maker's schedule. Do it on your schedule. That's how you turn a distraction into traction. Also on the other side, you know, so here's the thing. People don't notice how often they get distracted by things they think are productive. And this is probably mm -hmm. the most pernicious form of distraction because it tricks us. It's a swindle. And here's how it works. And this would happen to me all the time. By the way, I'm patient zero for this stuff. I wanted this to make sure this stuff worked for me because I needed this in my life more than anybody. So I would sit down at my desk and I'd say, okay, now I'm going to finish that chapter in the book. Now I'm going to work on this big project. Now I'm going to do the thing I said I'm going to do right after I check email, mm. right? Let me just check that Slack channel real quick, or let me just make that quick phone call, or let me just check what's happening in the news real quick. And after, you know, 30, 45 minutes, I still wouldn't have started the thing I said I was going to do. That is just as much of a distraction as playing video games. It's called pseudo work. And what we have to make sure that we do is in order to, to live the lives we want, in order to control our attention, what we have to do is to plan ahead with this very important technique of making time for traction so that you can finally know the difference between what is traction and what is distraction for every minute of your day. Yeah. And, and, and how much of it is you having a shock caller, shocking yourself, so to speak, anytime that you get distracted and how do you necessarily you know, I think realizing it is, is important and acknowledging it is also important, but the, your mind, it, 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 it you have to train it. I, I feel like at least I'm, I'm speaking from my experience, but I'd like to hear from you. Yeah. So, so the first step, we kind of skipped over the first step. The first step to becoming indistractable is called mastering your internal triggers. Mm -hmm. And so it turns out while we like to blame technology, you know, everybody says, oh, technology is so addictive these days and it's doing yeah. this and it's doing that. This is rubbish. It's not doing mm -hmm. anything to you. What it's doing is training you to find psychological relief with these products. So let's, let's back up a second. If we really want to understand why do we do things against our better interests, right? Why, why do we get distracted in the first place? Let's, let's go a layer deeper. Let's really start from first principles. Why do we do anything and everything? What is the nature of human motivation? Most people will tell you it's some form of carrots and sticks, right? This is, uh, you know, the, 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 everything we do is about pleasure and the avoidance of pain. This is mm -hmm. called Freud's pleasure principle. Unfortunately, it's not true that this carrot and stick metaphor is very, uh, is, is not correct. That in fact, mm -hmm. if you go a layer deeper, neurologically speaking, everything we do is about one thing, 
and that is the desire to escape discomfort. Everything we do. So yeah. even the pursuit of pleasurable sensations, if you want something, if you crave it, if you desire it, there's a reason we say love hurts because neurologically that is exactly what's going on. It is psychologically destabilizing to want something. So even the pursuit of pleasure is uncomfortable. So if we acknowledge that all human motivation comes from a desire to escape discomfort, that means that time management is pain management. So mm. if you want to do those things that you say you're going to do, you have to learn how to control what's called the internal triggers. Internal triggers are the number one source of distraction, not the external triggers. The external triggers are the pings, the dings, the rings, all of the things in our environment that prompt us towards a distraction. But much more frequently is the fact that distraction starts from within. Yeah. Right? When you're lonely, check Facebook. When you're uncertain, you Google. When you're bored, check ESPN, Pinterest, stock prices, news, you know, whatever it might be. All of these things are catering towards uncomfortable emotional states. We are like babies looking for pacifiers. And if we don't face that fact that we are using the products we use for emotional pacification, that that is the ultimate root cause of distraction, we're going to kid ourselves and keep blaming the technology, keep blaming the bottle, keep blaming whatever it is that we're using to escape reality. And that's never the source of the problem. The real yeah. source of the problem is our inability to cope with discomfort. The good news is we can do something about it. We can either fix the source of the problem or we can learn tactics to cope with that discomfort in a healthier manner so that it leads us towards traction as opposed to distraction. Do you think is it's healthy? And again, I'm, I'm kind of just like speaking from a use case for me and, and hearing you speak and, and just, you know, first thing that pops in my head is feeling guilty giving myself these um, distractions or beating myself up. Um, would you say what, based what you off mean, of give, your... Give me an example. What, where do you find yourself um, beating yourself up? Well, yeah. Are so, so, you know, you get these, you, you get distracted and you're just like, you know, oh man, you know, I, I shouldn't have done that. I should be focusing on this. Or mm -hmm. you obtain a, 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 a reward of um, maybe you follow these principles, right? And you, you mark it down on the calendar and then the reward is, for example, check Facebook for 15 minutes, right? And then you kind of beat yourself up again by, by, by feeling guilty of, of obtaining that reward. Would you say that that's a common thing that you've seen in, in your studies and research? So here's the problem. Most of us, myself included, we respond to these internal triggers uh, when, so, so the first step, most of us respond to these internal triggers habitually. We feel bad, so we look for relief with something, right? That's the mm -hmm. way the brain is designed to yeah. get us to act when we feel discomfort. Now, that's what most of us do. Now, the, the, the first step is to start recognizing these sensations, to start recognizing when we get distracted, okay? That's, that's the first step. Then what we want to do, and this is very, very important, we want to recognize these preceding emotions, the things that we did before we got distracted. And mm -hmm. we want to deal with them with curiosity instead of contempt. Most people will fall into two buckets. They're either the blamers or the shamers. The blamers, mm. they say, oh, it's my iPhone. It's Slack. It's Facebook. Yeah, yeah. It's Donald Trump on Twitter. They got me distracted. Then you've got the other side. You've got the shamers. The shamers say, oh, man, maybe I'm not cut out for this job. 
Why am I so lazy? Maybe I have a short attention span. What's wrong with me? Those are the shamers, and that's what I used to do. Neither of these behaviors are helpful because it turns out that this isn't some innate trait inside you. You're not broken. Now, little asterisks here. Some people do have pathologies, okay? There is mm -hmm. such a thing as obsessive compulsive disorder. There is such a thing as addiction disorders. Uh, somewhere between one to 5% of the population does have these addiction disorders. We're not exactly talking about that, okay? Th those folks are struggling with a pathology and that requires a lot more help uh, than, than what a book, any book can, can provide. That typically needs professional assistance. But for the vast majority of us, 95 to 99% of us, th there, there's nothing that's, there is no pathology here. Yeah. What it is, is a set of behaviors. So instead of responding with contempt, instead of blaming and shaming, what we want to do is to just get curious. Okay, I'm feeling bored right now. So I'm looking for an escape from boredom. I'm feeling mm. stressed. I'm looking for an escape from stress. This is hard work. I'm looking for the escape from this discomfort. And changing the narrative, and that one of the rules of, of cultivating self-compassion is to talk to our, ourselves the way we would talk to a good friend. So if, if a friend told you, man, I'm, I'm really stressed out and I find that if I, you know, if I go on Reddit or if I check my email or if I look at sports scores, I, I, I can escape for a minute. You wouldn't say, you know, oh, you son of a bitch, what are you doing? <laughs> right? You're a bad person. <laughs> we talk to ourselves this way all the time. So we got to yeah, stop that. True. We have to talk to ourselves with curiosity, like a friend, as opposed to contempt. And then what we can start to do yeah, is to channel place. that uncomfortable sensation towards traction as opposed to distraction. One of the myths that's perpetuated by the self-help community that drives me nuts is that we're all supposed to be happy. Mm. No, you're not. Happiness is not a beneficial evolutionary trait, at least not for long. You're supposed to be, by design, momentarily happy. Okay, Think about it. If we were designed through evolution to constantly be happy all the time, to be satisfied with life, we wouldn't excel. We wouldn't work. We wouldn't want more. So dissatisfaction is part of our evolutionary heritage. Think about it. If there was a tribe of Homo sapiens that was happy and satisfied all the time, our ancestors probably killed and ate them, right? Because we, you know, the, the fact that we crave more is part of what helps us excel in life. And so we shouldn't think that just because we're uncomfortable, we're somehow broken or wrong or, you know, there's something that, that's messed up with us. No. It's part of the human condition. The idea is how can you channel that dissatisfaction towards traction as opposed to letting it get the best of you and letting it lead to distraction? Yeah. I, I mean, that's the, the nugget for me of what you said in that was talk to yourself as a, as a friend. And I can say in, in reflection that that's definitely not how I talk to myself. <laughs> um, and I'm sure it's common for other people too. We're talking a lot about the person, right? The individual. But I kind of like to talk a little bit more about the company because, and when I say company, you know, business, is there a, is there a difference as a leader of the people that are listening, the leaders of their company, is there a difference in a, in a unique or, or different approach from training your own self of the idea of being indistractable versus that within your entire company while leading the team. Yeah, I, I love that you brought this up because let, let's be very clear here that, you know, I can tell you uh, or your employees, depending on, on who you are at the company, how to become indistractable. 
and you can follow all four steps to becoming indistractable. And it, it will change your life. I mean, you will be much happier for it. Uh, but the thing is, we work in environments and our environments can change our behavior pretty dramatically. So let's say, you know, if your boss calls you at 8 p.m. on a Friday night and says, hey, did you get that email I just sent you? I, I need you to do something. Mm. Well, is it the email and the telephone that are at fault? No, those are the proximate causes. The root cause is you have a jerk boss mm. and you work at a company with crappy culture where people mm. don't respect each other's time. Now, that being said, again, you know, nothing is so black and white. If you want to work that kind of job, I'm not going to tell you not to, right? If you want to work on Wall Street, if you want to start a startup and you know you're going to be working 24-7 and there's not going to be room for anything else in your life, like taking care of your body, taking care of you know, your friends' relationships, and you want to go all in, go for it. If that's according to your values, I'm not going to tell you otherwise. However, if your values aren't that, if you do want time with your family, with your friends, to take care of yourself, whatever, then, then that's where I want to be helpful. And so what we find in companies where people can't control their time, where they feel like their time is being controlled by their boss constantly, it's never the technology that's the problem. That in fact, we find that at companies that use more technology, there is no correlation with an increase in distraction. I'll give you a perfect example. So when I did the research for my book, it took me five years to write. And many, many people told me about how uh, terrible uh, different technologies were in the workplace. So number one complaint was email. Everybody hates email. So there's a whole chapter in the book on how to uh, hack back email. But then number two was Slack or some other group chat yeah. type app. People hate it. <laughs> a lot of people love it, but a lot of people think it, it leads to a lot of distractions. So here's what I did. I went to pay Slack a visit. And I went to Slack headquarters in San Francisco, assuming that, look, if technology is the problem, nobody uses this technology more than people who work at Slack. So if the technology is causing distraction, then everybody at Slack should be the most distracted people on earth. But that's not what I found. At 6.30, the office is empty. And on nights and weekends, if you use Slack, you are reprimanded. You are not supposed to use Slack on nights and weekends, even if you work Very at Slack. Very interesting. interesting. Why? Because at Slack, they've discovered that the real problem that causes distraction is that people can't talk about the problem. This is a super important point. If you work at a place that is always on, and that is not by choice, right? If, that, if that's by your choice, then hey, I'm not gonna tell you not to work there. But if you work in an organization where you feel like you constantly have to be connected, you constantly have to respond, you constantly have pings and dings on your time, you can't focus, people stop by your desk and constantly interrupt you, or emails and Slack channels constantly invade on your time to focus, or your time when you wanna spend outside of work, I guarantee you, you have a dysfunctional company culture where yeah. people can't talk about this problem. And that's the, real, that's the root cause of the problem is that when people can't talk about their problems, distraction is the canary in the coal mine because nobody likes it. Nobody likes being interrupted at 8 p.m. Uh, when they're having dinner with their spouse, right? Nobody yeah. likes that scenario, not even the boss. And so if you work in these type of organizations, it turns out the real source of the problem is a dysfunctional company culture. So here's what Slack does. Slack exemplifies a company culture that has these three conditions of a healthy company workplace. Number one, they give employees psychological safety, meaning you can talk about your concerns without fear of getting fired. Most workplaces don't have that. That's horrible. Number two, 
they give people a forum to talk about their problems. Number three, company management exemplifies what it means to be indistractable. So culture flows downhill. And if your boss is always on, you're going to be always on. But at Slack, the, the management from Stuart Butterfield, the CEO on down, believes in this culture that lets people disconnect and believes that that's how people do their best work. That's how they have such a high employee retention rate, right? So how do I know this? Well, if you walk into Slack company headquarters, you will see written on the walls in big pink letters, it says, work hard and go home. They literally hmm. wrote this on the wall, okay? So it's part of the company culture and everyone from the, from the CEO on down believes this. So, okay, what if you're not the CEO? So if you, if you are the CEO, if you are the manager, onus is on you. If you want healthier, uh, happier employees who stick around longer and, and want to go into battle for you to, to, to improve your company, then it, it, it is upon you to help them become indistractable by first becoming indistractable yourself. But even if you're not the boss, first become indistractable yourself. Use these tools to change your own life as much as you can. And then what you want to do is you want to start small. You want to work with just your direct colleagues and help them use these methodologies and coordinate with each other. And there's a lot in the book that we don't have time for, but helping people become indistractable, what we find is can spread throughout the organization. I, I do a case study on BCG, uh, Boston Consulting Group, where I used to work. It was my first job out of college. And at the time, uh, this was in 2001, they had a terrible workplace culture. It was very stressful, very high employee churn. Uh, and today that's completely reformed. It's totally different because they took these steps to change their company culture, to help people manage distraction. And today they're consistently ranked as one of America's best places to work by their very own employees. Yeah, that's, that's an amazing story. Um, I think there, that's a real life lesson there. And I can almost guarantee, again, including myself, the people that are listening are saying, you know, I am always on and I do need to respect my, my people's time. And I think the way that you just explained it is is healthy, um, but it's also a, a kind of gut check, a reality check. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I appreciate that greatly. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, it definitely changed my point of view over the past five years writing this, that uh, learning that it's not about the tech, it's about company culture. Yeah, I mean, it, as, a, as a research fan myself, I have to ask at least one selfish question in addition to all the other, I'm sure, selfish-ish questions that I've asked already. But when it comes to research and, and understanding, how can you tell, how can you weed through the good versus the bad? In terms of uh, what research out there is, is out there? Yeah, because there's so, much, so many things, like when it comes to distracting, right? Like, like my thought is you're, you're collecting all this research. You said it took you five years to do it. Right. You know, how can you sift through the things that you know, made it into the book versus the things that were just like, you know what, this isn't, this isn't quite the right fit. Yeah, it's, uh, so, so I had this bar that not only did the research have to be peer reviewed, I, I tend to like old research too. So that's important. Yeah. So if it's the latest, uh, you know, the latest fad or gimmick, uh, then, then, you know, even if it has been in a peer reviewed journal, you know, there's a, there's a, what's called the replication crisis right now in social psychology, where a lot of these fatty studies, you know, like, um, uh, there was this, this research around ego depletion, and you probably have heard some variation of it that uh, willpower runs out like gas in a gas tank. No, it doesn't. 
<laughs> it turns out the studies that show this, you know, how people will say, oh, I had such a hard day. I'm spent. I, you know, I'm going to let myself, I, I deserve that Ben and Jerry's and uh, to sit on the couch and watch Netflix. You know, that, that idea that you run out of willpower uh, had some studies that, that, that showed this, but it turns out it doesn't replicate, that uh, there's a lot of concern in the psychology community that it, the effect doesn't exist, except, fascinatingly enough, uh, work by Carol Dweck at Stanford found that ego depletion does exist. People do actually run out of uh, willpower like gas in a gas tank if you are a certain type of person. And that type mm. of person is only the type of person who believes in ego depletion. <laughs> so if you believe that you are spent, that you're out of willpower, then it becomes true. And that's really the message I want to I want to leave everyone with is that this idea that technology is addicting all of us that it's controlling our brains that there's nothing we can do it's rubbish. And in mm -hmm. fact believing it is dangerous. Why? Because it leads to learned helplessness. Now some people really are addicted, okay? Something can be addictive and not addict everyone. So some people do have the pathology of addiction, but 95 to 99% of us don't. And what we're doing is making a, making an excuse, kind of like that ego depletion myth that when we believe it is a self-limiting belief, it doesn't help us, it hurts us. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the nuggets of information, the things that I've learned from this conversation, uh, I couldn't be more grateful for your time. And the, I, I don't, I'm gonna say this and I don't do it often. Um, usually when I interview people that have books, I don't necessarily at times dive deep into reading. And this is actually one that I have. Uh, and, and I just told you off air that 75% of the way and the things that I'm learning are absolutely game changing. And so I'm incredibly grateful for you to be on the show. Um, I'd love to, for you to just tell us a little bit more about how can people find more about you? How can they research your book? How can they learn the things that um, that I'm learning from the book? And, and I have to mind you and give one one uh, mention the people that you've uh, that have written reviews about you are absolutely astonishing <laughs> and and it has to be it has to feel good to be able to have you know people like mark manson um adam grant uh Ar ariana huffington you know people in your corner so you know the floor is yours please self-promote <laughs> as much and as often as you can I appreciate it. So um, you know, my website is nearandfar.com, uh, spelled like my first name, N-I-R, nearandfar.com. The book is called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. And it's available wherever books are sold. And if you want, there's a free video course uh, as well as an 80-page workbook. The book got too long, so we didn't end up putting the workbook in the book itself. <laughs> but you can, you can uh, download that. It's, it's totally complimentary at indistractable.com. Very cool. And all the links will be in the show notes. You know, thank you so much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Blind Entrepreneurship brought to you by Penji. Our guest this week was Nur El. If you value your time and your focus, your relationships, uh, I highly recommend to not only buy the book, uh, but just to re-listen to this podcast episode. Um, Putting your ideas into practice are, are incredibly important, and for somebody to spend over five years in order to research um, what was inevitably placed inside of this book is really, really awesome. Um, 
If you love this episode as much as I do, please feel free to tweet me at ChrisBowskiJ or head over to TVEshow.com and drop a comment on this week's episode. You can find more about Nur's books uh, directly in the show notes and his blog, which I also think is pretty cool, NurAndFar.com, N-I-R and far.com and the book is called indistractable how to control your attention and choose your life you can get it on amazon and again that link is directly in the show notes as for us here you can learn more about penji if you need a simple easy and affordable graphic design solution for your business uh, lastly tbeshow.com to listen to more episodes just like this one if you enjoyed this show it would mean the absolute world to us if you could just share this with a friend it's the only way that we can cure blindness in business Go out there and execute your vision, everybody. Have a great rest of your day.